Gracious Heavenly Father, we bow in thy holy, sacred presence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great King and Head of the Church. And we rejoice that this Lord's Day evening finds us in God's house to listen to God's Word. We thank Thee that God, that God is on the throne. And we thank Thee that Thy people pray. And Thy people fasted, and they sought the Lord, and He heard them. As Thou didst deliver Israel from the tyranny of Pharaoh, as Thou didst deliver Israel from the tyranny of the Midianites, and of the Philistines, so thou hast delivered this people from those that have risen up against them. And we can say tonight, to God be the glory, great things he have done. We thank thee for the victory in North Antrim. We thank thee for this blow that has been struck at those that would join hands with the enemies of truth. We thank Thee for defeating the ecumenical ministers. We thank Thee for defeating the priestcraft that was in evidence in that campaign. And all the lying, and all the evil, and all the filth. We rejoice tonight that God is a God of truth. That God reigns in the kingdoms of man. That he is sovereign in his administration. He set us up one and cast it down another. Who can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? We bless thee for thy goodness. And we pray that thou wouldst bless us this night in this house and give us great liberty in the preaching of the gospel, and help us to realize once again that the answer to our problems is a return to God, that the answer to our problems is to turn away from sin and turn to righteousness and to power. Oh God, help us this night and be with us for Christ's sake. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak upon a very tragic subject this evening. The subject of no room for Christ. My text is found in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel and at verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Because there was no room for them in the end, 
man and woman have no room for Jesus Christ. This is a great fact in history, and it is a great fact in our contemporary society. The bitterness of sin in the human heart leads to antagonism to Jesus Christ and antagonism to the laws of the Master. And you can write over the palaces and over the universities and over the great schools and over the great vast sphere of industry and over the parliaments and the councils of the affairs of the world. No room for Christ. I wonder, my friend, can that be written over your heart? No room for Jesus Christ. I want to talk tonight about the things concerning Christ that sinners have no room for. I want to say, first of all, that they have no room for the person of Christ. You know, the world has a Christ of his own imagination. The modernistic preacher portrays a Jesus of his own theological thought. The philosophies of man and the schools of man's ideology produce a Savior. They paint a Christ utterly and totally alien to the true Christ, the Christ of the Bible. Man have no room for the person of Christ. I would like to ask the question, who is Christ? You remember Jesus said, as he turned upon the scoffers of his day, and he penetrated their sneer and cut down to the quick of their conscience, he said, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Who then is Christ? The Bible gives me four great answers which portray the Christ in all his fullness, in all his character, and in all his redemptive mission. First of all, Christ is the eternal Son of God. And when I call him the eternal Son of God, I am calling him eternally God the Son. 
You are not dealing with a mere creature of day and dust when you're in confrontation with Jesus Christ. You are not, my friend, called upon to make a decision this evening concerning a mere human being. No matter how great of a genius that human being might be, we are coming from the realm of humanity into the realm of deity. But I come to speak of Jesus Christ. We are coming from the realm of the natural to the realm of the supernatural. But I come to speak of Jesus Christ. My friend, when Christ stands before you, He is eternally God. And that is why man's confrontation with the Savior is all important in the settling of man's destiny. Because God holds your destiny in His hand. If he was but a man, even if he were the most superior of men, you could afford to shrug your shoulders and pass him by on the other side. But the Christ of the Bible is the eternal Son of God. He's the one into whose hands the destinies of men have been divinely placed. By the authority of his Father, he will be the final judge of all men. Do you remember Paul said, The times of their ignorance God winked at, but now hath commanded all men everywhere to repent, because there is coming a day when God will judge all men by that man whom he hath ordained. For off he hath given a witness unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ is the eternal judge. Tonight in the gospel, my friend, you are confronted with Jesus Christ. One day in judgment, Jesus Christ will be confronted with you. And what happens in this gathering tonight will decide what will happen in that great last aside when God finally and forever decides your destiny. He is the eternal Son of God. Secondly, He is the incarnate Word of God. God has no other speech, no other message, no other declaration to make to man but his own son. God, who in sundry times, says Paul in his preface to the Hebrews, God, who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days Spoken unto us by His Son. That puts all the new messages out immediately. God has no new message for man. 
God presents his son. His son is the eternal word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and him was light, and the light was the life of man. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the incarnate word. God has no other message for you but His Son. And if you turn a deaf ear to Christ, you are turning a deaf ear to God's final and full message concerning your soul's salvation. Who is He? He's the eternal Son of God. Who is He? He's the incarnate Word of God. Who is He? He is the up. Pointed priest of God. The religions of this world present priests. Sacrificing priests. Interceding priests. Sacerdotal priests. Ritualistic priests. Priests with their garments and their ceremonies and their mumblings. Priests who pretend that they can get the soul to heaven. And forgive the sinner's sin and bring peace to the troubled breast. But the priests of men are holy priests. They never once brought peace, real peace, deep peace, eternal peace. Peace that satisfies the conscience. Peace that satisfies the soul. Peace that is eternal and pure and cannot ever be changed. They cannot do it. But thank God, my priest can forgive your sins. I've met a priest with an eel-pierced hand who can forgive every sin that ever stained your heart. I've met a priest with power to cleanse the filthy soul and make the man who was only, who only deserved eternal hell make him fit for the company of God and the pure angels of eternal light in the celestial inheritance of the Lamb that is fairer than they. I've met a priest who can lift your burdens. I've met a priest who can smash your chains. I've met a priest who can absolve from every sin and set the soul eternally and absolutely free, and his name is Jesus. We turn away from the priests of men, whether they be Romanist, or whether they belong to the great temporary, contemporary religions, or whether they be the manufactured puppet priests of the ecumenical movement. We turn away from them all, and we turn to Jesus Christ tonight. And I want to tell you that men have no room for Christ because he's the sole priest, because he's the eternal Son of God, because he's the incarnate Word of God. And let me go one step farther. Jesus Christ is not only the eternal Son of God. He's not only the incarnate Word of God. He's not only the appointed priest of God, but Jesus Christ is the 
Only way to God. No other way. You don't get to God by your baptism. A few drops in infancy or a large immersion when you're older can never wash away your sins. Don't be deceived. I remember hearing Johnny Cochran preach one night down in Port Stewart. And there were those along the front and they were preaching salvation by water. And this evangelist from Dublin said this, I'll always remember it. He said, Baptism! Do you think it'll save your soul? You might as well rub Vaseline on a wooden leg and think it would make you have a new one. My, that's preaching all right, and that's the truth. Baptism cannot save you. Sitting at the Lord's table cannot save you. Church membership cannot save you. Works of righteousness and deeds of charity cannot save you. There is only one who can bring you to God, and that one is Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Men have no room for the person of Christ. Well, they like their ritual, don't they? They like their churchy amity. They like the pump and pageantry of ecclesiastical symbolism. They love the dull, the dim religious light. They love the actor at the high altar. It appeals to their artistic senses. Dear woman came to this church and she says, you know, there's nothing artistic about your preaching, Mr. Paisley. I said, thank God for that. I'm not an artist. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Let me tell you, it's the simple gospel that Jesus saves needs to be preached from every pulpit in this land. He's the only way to God. They have no room for the person of Christ. Let me tell you something else. Men have no room for the passion of my Savior. The gospel that I'm preaching is the gospel of the bloodshedding. It's the gospel of the gore of Calvary and the sufferings of the middle cross. It's the gospel of the agony of Christ. Oh, man, like the ceremonies, but they don't want the cross. They like the sacraments, but they don't like the sacrifice. They love the ritual, but they don't love God's redemption. I want to tell you the passion of Christ is to the world foolishness. And I take you to the hill crag tonight called Calvary. And we climb that well-beaten track, trodden by many a criminal on his way to the scaffold. And I point you to a cross. And on that cross there is the naked figure of the lowly Nazarene, the stranger of Galilee. And his head is crowned with thorns, and his blood is 
Hair is matted with the blood that has already come from his temples because of that cruel and awful crowding. And every bone of his body is out of joint. And his tongue cleaves to the roof of his mouth. And his back runs rivers of blood for they plow deep furrows upon the precious quivering frame of my Lord. And the hairs have been torn from his cheeks. And he's marred more than any man. And there's far more than the sons of man. And he's bruised. And he's broken. And he's battered. And he's in agony. And I point to that sacrifice. And I tell you in God's name. It is through the passion of Christ. That you'll find to heaven. And if you reject that cross as a ladder to heaven, then you'll stumble down into the abyss of the bottomless pit of hellfire forevermore. Make no mistake about it. The passion of Christ is a way of salvation. All the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. don't want you to preach about the cross and the blood, about men been lost, about guilt transferred, about the doctrine of imputation, that he took my sins and my sorrows, that he made them his very own, that he bore the burden of Calvary, and suffered and died alone. They don't want to hear that today. Tell us a story. Describe a sunset. Talk of nature. No, sir, I'll not talk of nature. I'll talk of nature's God in agony for man's redemption. I'll not talk of nature, but I'll talk of a rose that bloomed once on a hill cried called Calvary. It's the crimson rose of Sharon, and it bloomed for sinners on yonder hill. The passion of Christ they have no room for. How many men and women in our meeting tonight have had no room for the cross? How many times have you turned your back on it, sinner? How many times have you walked away? From the only place of pardon and from the only fountain that has power to cleanse away the inbred stains of wicked sin. How many times have you gone from the cross? No room for Christ in his person. No room for Christ in his passion. And they have no room for Christ in his people. If I identify myself with Christ, the world will have no room for me. There was no room for them, underline it, at the end. No room for If I line up with Jesus Christ, I'll bear the reproaches that fell on him. The world doesn't love the people of God, never did, and never will. My, we saw that at the count. When we give God the glory, we saw the, 
the snarling lips of the sinners. So that old liberal candidate, and my, the devil in hell was looking at him. And he publicly said, I hate Paisley. Yes, I'm sure he does. Sure he was honest when he said it. The curses that fall on the Savior will fall on you. I know I'm not going to Westminster to have an easy ride, I know that. I know I'll be cursed from one end of the land to the other. Dear man said to me, did you see the Sunday press today? He says, I thank God I don't read that tripe and dirt. He says, they're very hard on you. He says, I, do you expect the devil to give me a laurel, do you? No, sir, I don't. I expect to be vilified and slandered and kicked. Why? Because the world has no time for Christ, people. You identify yourself with the people of God and you'll get the kicks and the ridicule. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, what will they not call? His people, no room at the end. Perhaps there's someone here and you have had no room for the people of God. And by rejecting God's people, you have rejected God's Christ. For Jesus said, if they receive you, they'll receive me. And if they reject me, they'll reject you. And that's happening all over the world. And last of all, could I say tonight, they have no room for his pardon. No room for his part. And many man and woman in our gathering have rejected the pardon of Christ. How many times he has stretched out his nail-pierced hand to you. And what have you done? You've pushed it away. You've said, Lord Jesus, I don't want your pardon. I don't want to be born again. I don't want to be saved. And your friends have been saved. And your families have been saved. There's unconverted fathers in this meeting. And their whole family has come to Christ. And what has happened? They themselves have refused the Savior. Trampled underfoot the blood of Christ. And put him to an open shade. No room for his pardon. Is this going to be the end of the story for you? And when the last chapter of life's biography is penned, at the very end will it be written over every page, no room for Christ. Or will that chapter close tonight? And will a new chapter written in golden letters commenced that this night Jesus Christ was received? This night Jesus Christ was received, and he entered my heart, and he made my life over anew, and tonight I'm his, and he is mine forever. Will you come to the Savior? Will you trust him? May God grant that many will trust him tonight, for Jesus' sake.